Welcome to another episode of NRS, Not Rocket Science, the podcast about tech, culture, subculture, everything in between. It is Tuesday, June 5th. Man, I can't believe it's June. Good day in New York City. Weather's pretty good. I know. I, I think it's becoming tradition that I just give you guys a weather rundown of New York City for some reason. Um, usually I do these podcasts right when I get home from work and I'm walking from the train. So it's on my mind because I'm cooped up in an office all day designing screens. Uh, anyway, hope you guys are doing well. This episode will be slightly, just a tad more structured than past episodes. I mean, one part of doing this podcast is just trying to improve uh, personally, yourself, the show, everything. You know, I'm always looking at this as an exercise of improvement. And one of the things I try to do is I listen back to past episodes and try to figure out what works, what doesn't. Um, I'm doing a lot of silly shit still on these things, like smacking my lips way too much. I had no idea that was even a thing that I did. I'm still not convinced I do that in real life. It just might be some thing I do like saying like all the time to fill the blank spaces. But anyway, besides that, I feel like I'm just rambling too much. And I wanted to make this whole thing kind of like a free flow, conversational, I guess very one-sided, but kind of open-ended, free-flowing type of podcast. I just don't want it to be like those corny talking head cable shows whether it's politics like cnn fox news or espn with sports where they have these corny segments like buy it or sell it or something stupid like that i don't i didn't want it to be that structured with bits but i realize when i'm talking for like a half hour straight it can be a little jarring so i'm trying to break it up a bit i think going forward what i'm gonna do is have a main focus of the day where I kind of deep dive into something. And then I'll do just a weekly rundown of uh, current events that have to do with tech, culture, music, fashion, etc. Call it read and react. Yes, I'm going to do the exact thing I said I didn't want to do. Um, but I think read and react is pretty basic. Nothing too showy or cheesy or talking head cable television-y. Uh, anyway, today, this is an episode I always planned on doing, or at least talking about. Maybe I'll do more episodes about it down the, down the road, but when it comes to at least tech playing a role in fashion, the streetwear craze is always kind of the epicenter of that to me, with uh, apps being created now for like exclusive drops and resells. And all that good stuff. And to me, the pinnacle of all that 
of all of that is with the brand Supreme. Anyone that's into like streetwear fashion or just hip hop subculture, fashion subculture, any any it's super mainstream at this point. But uh I wanted to do a Supreme episode for a while because Supreme is a brand that kind of grew parallel with me in my adolescence. And it's really interesting to see the juggernaut that it is today and what it I remember clearly what it was when I was a kid because I was just getting into all this stuff and like most kids in the suburbs you know there was a phase where I was skateboarding and all that shit so I wanted to do a deep dive on Supreme and talk a little bit about its cultural emergence and kind of break down why it happened in the way that it did Uh, I always grew up outside of New York City and I used to go into the city going to the Lower East Side and I, I remember seeing that logo worn by skateboarder kids when I was like eight or nine years old maybe even younger so it's been something that just kind of stuck with me forever um, and I just think it's a really interesting subject plus it ties into current events because if you're not into fashion, you might not know this, but last night, uh, Monday, January 4th, there was a huge, huge uh, fashion award show in New York City uh, called the CFDA Awards. They're basically like the uh, the Oscars for fashion designers. Um, CFDA is kind of like the Oscar committee. It's the Council of Fashion Designers of America, I believe. And Supreme took home... I think menswear designer of the year, maybe something else. Um, but I remember seeing it on, on Instagram stories, uh, Supreme taking home some awards. So I had no idea that was even happening until yesterday, but it's on topic. So it further validated me doing this episode. So Supreme, what the hell is it? If you don't know Supreme, if you're more a tech guy, you might've heard of it. You might have seen the logo, but you're not really. Man, I feel like every episode, some dude outside is riding a motorcycle. Anyway, if you don't know much about Supreme, it's a streetwear brand. It was founded in New York City in the mid-ish 90s uh, by a dude named James Jebbia. He is from the United States, but he grew up in England and then moved back to New York. And... uh, He's kind of like worked in stores, retail, and he struck a relationship um, with this guy named Sean Stuzzi. And for those of you who know streetwear, you know the name Stuzzi, you know the brand Stuzzi. Uh, Stuzzi's the OG streetwear company that's really more of like a surf company, but they kind of kicked off this whole like idea of streetwear, I'm sure. There's hype beasts out there that will argue this. I'm a casual fan of all this stuff. I'm not all up in it. But to me, from what I understand, Stuzy is considered the brand that kind of kicked off this whole streetwear, urban wear phenomenon. And uh, the founder of Supreme worked with him for a while. But Supreme started in 1994, and Sean Stuzy retired in 1996 I believe so there wasn't a whole lot of actual overlap um before James W. started Stuzzi he worked uh started Supreme he worked with Stuzzi, uh Sean Stuzzi 
But anyway, for a brief moment, they were working together. That's the point. So Supreme opened up their first store on Lafayette Street in the Lower East Side of Manhattan. And what's crazy is there's like a real scene going on at that time in Manhattan. At the time, it wasn't it wasn't a scene the way like punk rock in England in the late 70s was a scene. It wasn't like an established mainstream scene. It was kind of a Monday morning quarterback scene. And by that, I mean, in hindsight, looking back, there was a lot of shit going on. Um, the movie Kids came out in 1995, a year after Supreme started as a store. You know that crazy movie? Um I think it was like Rosario Dawson's first movie. It was basically just portraying teenagers in the East Village in the 90s. And what's crazy is that movie like created a real scene that spawned the growth of brands like Supreme and others. Zoo York was another big one, which I'll talk about later. But you had Chloe Sevigny in it, who blew up and became a huge movie star. You had Harold Hunter in it, who is a cult figure now in the world of uh, skateboarding, skate culture. He unfortunately passed away about, I think, 12 years ago um, of a drug-related heart attack. But Harold Hunter is a major cult figure in the skate world. And Supreme was kind of just popping off on the underground level right around that time. So it's crazy how all that kind of works together. One thing that I like to study when it comes to culture is just these organic pockets that sprout multiple success stories, whether it be movie stars, clothing brands, but when they're all happening at the same time, there's kind of like this energy. Um, A lot of times it's how music scenes start out, like grunge in Seattle, but even on a smaller level, like dubstep in Croydon, South London, back in the mid-2000s, there's just this energy there. And it spawned this global explosion. I know dubstep's considered like cheesy now, but the dubstep that happened there influenced, you know, the Skrillexes and all that. It didn't actually sound all mechanical. It didn't sound like that. It was more just deep, heavy bass music with like tribal elements. Uh, The BPM was still 140 BPM, if you know about um, beats per minute and beat matching and all that stuff. But the sound was totally different. Anyway, I'm going off on a tangent here. But the Lower East Side youth culture in the 90s was clearly now, looking back on it, a scene that spawned a lot of influential shit. And I was too young to know whether at the time people were aware of that or not. I'm assuming they weren't. I mean, the kids' movie was was a big deal, but it was a big deal more so because of the more due to the content of the film and the rawness and how you had these teenage actors doing all this crazy shit. It wasn't so much because of its cultural impact at the time. Um, But anyway, to me, there were a few factors about Supreme that led to its success from a strategy or like branding standpoint that gave it an advantage over other streetwear or skatewear companies at the time because that's what supreme was it was like a skate shop you know how many skate shops there are you know how many skatewear brands there are and have been 
I feel like there has been some skateware company starting up literally in like every town in America. Even when I went to high school, these skater dudes that I know created like a quote unquote company, but it was called John Dice. So if you don't know what that is, please look it up. It is nasty. It's a skin condition that turns your skin this like sickly yellow. And they would rock in these black hoodies with yellow lettering saying John Dice on them. And I was just like, what the fuck are you guys doing? Like, even when I was like 15, I knew that was just a terrible idea. So just a tip. If you're thinking of coming up with a clothing brand, do not name it after a skin condition. Because that shit was... I had no idea what it was, too. I saw it. And I was like, John, John Dice, what the hell? I thought it was like Spanish or something. And then I looked it up and I was like, oh, this is going nowhere. And then there was a skate shop called Division East. And they would, they were actually trying to do the Supreme thing. I actually remember thinking that, like, oh, they're trying to be like Supreme. This was like back in like 2005. And uh, they would have like rap shows and they had a little like skate quarter pipe thing in the shop. And I remember those kids were trying to get those John Dice hoodies into that shop. Anyway, point being, Supreme, as a brand, is a lot better than fucking John Dice. The name sounds good, Supreme, you know, rings off the tongue. And the logo is really interesting because it's based off of something else that was already popular. Like, people already knew it. So the Supreme logo is based off of the work of this famous conceptual artist in the 60s, maybe 70s too, named Barbara Kruger. And she's basically like, uh, she just put these crazy collages together that made statements on identity, politics, etc. But she had a very specific style, and her style was the Supreme Logo style. It was that same red in a rectangle with the same font, which is Futura oblique i believe or futura bold oblique uh futura is a great font if you're not a designer or a type nerd and it works really well with geometric shapes like that rectangle in the supreme logo uh to me that's why it works and i i learned that from this dude chris doe who's a big time influencer in the design world he runs this online school called the future and a design agency called blind if you want to check him out. Super boss. Anyway, so Supreme's logo is like those skate graphic tees that are like the Jaws movie poster with some streetwear brand instead of Jaws. Like, it's just a reinterpretation of something that already existed. And I think it's the first global brand whose logo is just a lift of something else which is really interesting to me because it's kind of surpassed i mean barbara kruger's artwork at this point um i think they even collaborated i think i've seen a barbara kruger supreme collaboration before so to me that's crazy i've never even heard of that um other than supreme i probably am wrong and there's a lot of famous artwork based on clear aesthetic styles of uh designers of the past um but this was just like a clear 
copy to the point where it's like a tribute or something. Um, but it works. It looks really nice, and it looks better than other skatewear logos. It doesn't only look better in terms of being just a clean design, but it also looks really different from most skatewear brands. Most skatewear brands are typically much busier than the Supreme logo, other than Vans, which is, you know, OG. Um, so kind of the way it separates itself from other skate brands and the, and the cleanness and simplicity of the logo really differentiated it in the market. And then they also did some other stuff. Like they jumped on the idea of collaborations really early, um, collaborating with big-time celebrities, getting getting influencers, quote-unquote, to wear their stuff before influencer marketing was a big deal. Um, you know, teaming up with Nike, teaming up with these other brands and working together. All that stuff was really forward-thinking for the times. And, you know, now collaborations are just commonplace in streetwear. But Supreme was, in my memory, one of the first brands to really do it and take off. And when I look at Supreme and I look at another early mid 90s new york brand like zoo york it's really easy to see the growth that supreme had they had a much cleaner aesthetic they had the collaborations and they also kind of looked at themselves as like a a cultural movement rather than just a skate company like zoo york always had a skate roster they would always market their roster of skaters um and then that would be kind of their pull whereas supreme I knew it was a skate brand just because I'd seen videos of, like, skateboarders wearing Supreme, and I knew it was a skate shop. But if I didn't know that, I wouldn't even know that it's, like, a skateboard-rooted brand. I just think it would be, like, a clothing brand, like Levi's or something. Um, so the way they were able to just market themselves as a universal concept and brand rather than something specifically for skateboarders and doing crossover campaigns with people like Neil Young which was all by design mind you I remember reading an article I think in like Vogue or something with James Jebbia the founder and he was basically saying he knew that young people were into a lot more diverse catalog of artists than what companies assume they were most companies think like teenagers hip-hop or teenagers EDM, but they don't think of like teenagers, indie rock, jazz, hip-hop, metal. They don't think that that teenagers and adolescents, you know, they have that diverse of a palette when in reality they do. And at that age, people are generally really open to discovering new kinds of art and new kinds of bands etc so that was like one of the main fundamental principles behind supreme which is really smart and i think that is kind of what led to the global phenomenon they are today and i think the fact that they had such a wide reach with their collaborations kind of is what gave them this horizontal got younger kids at an earlier and earlier age into supreme and then the cleanness of the aesthetic and the inclusiveness of the brand culturally and then also just the clothes themselves which i'm not gonna buy a 300 dollars supreme hoodie or t-shirt or whatever but i will say 
that their clothes look very good. And you need that. I mean, that's like the fundamental first check mark on the list that needs to be written off if you're going to create a brand like Supreme. Um, and that's what led to the hype where you had the, the apps that give you the advanced drops. So that created this kind of frenzy of people. I mean, there already was the hype. The hype was there. The hype was growing. But that kind of helped build the hype and led to the people waiting in line overnight and all that for the new drops. Um, and I think when technology and smartphones became a thing and apps became a thing, it just kind of threw some rocket fuel on the whole craze because now it became kind of a game. Like, are you going to get this exclusive here? Or are you going to get this exclusive there? But that wouldn't have happened if Supreme, from the onset, didn't make these really smart decisions regarding their brand and their aesthetic to differentiate themselves from other brands like Zoo York, who, you know, Zoo York now sold on the racks for sale at JCPenney. And they were bought, I think, by Mark Echo and then sold to some big conglomerate corp that basically pimped it out and is now just one of these JCPenney Marshall brands. You know what I mean? It's crazy seeing... How at, the, at one point, they were kind of the same. Like when I was in middle school back in the early 2000s, like 2000, 2001, 2, like I, in my head, lumped Supreme and Zoo York into the exact same category. Now I was like 12, so I might have been off base with that. But the kids that were wearing Supreme shit were also wearing Zoo York shit. And like there was not a clear hierarchy over which brand was superior. They were kind of all the same thing. And that didn't really change for me until, like, I don't know, maybe I was in college or something. That's when I started to see the differentiation in brands. Maybe maybe even a little earlier, like late high school, something like that. But, man, it's crazy to see where Supreme is now, just looking back on it. Because I remember them as a kid just being this little-ass skateboard company. But something about that red and the white the white lettering on that red just even as a kid before I knew anything about clothes or gave two shits about clothes it caught my attention so I'll leave it at that I just wanted to give you guys some background on Supreme and kind of dig deep a little into uh, what about their brand works and why it's this cultural juggernaut that it is today when at the same time you know they were just a brand in a scene but there were other brands in that scene. There were other components of that scene um, that really took off. But even now, like, they are the big winner from that subculture, you know. Because they're, they're going to be more and more relevant. A hundred years from now, people are still going to know Supreme as a brand. I'm going to guess. You know, who knows? A hundred years is a long time when it comes to branding. But I'm going to guess Supreme will still be around a hundred years from now. That's my guess. Also, there's a really cool Instagram account um, called That's a Crazy One, all one word. That's a Crazy One. That is basically a photo book account from somebody that grew up at that time in that scene. And they show these really cool photos about um, showing kids in New York in the East Village in the 90s. And they tagged supreme a lot they're around that skate shop they're in that skate shop and then they're in other places i'm i'm a history dork but like not a history dork like studying what the fuck abraham lincoln like to eat for breakfast type of history dork i'm more 
looking at subcultures, looking at scenes and trying to like see photos from it and all that. And this one particularly was crazy for me because I was alive at the time and I was kind of in the area. You know, I was as a kid visiting New York City when all this stuff was going on. Anyway, I'm going to wrap up the Supreme stuff here. And now we're going to try this read and react segment. Hopefully it's not too cheesy. Okay, so we're just going to run down some current events here. I'm just going to give my two cents-y on them, see what happens. So the first one that I saw on TechCrunch is that Microsoft bought GitHub. Now, you all should know who Microsoft is. I mean, come on, if you don't know that. You probably shouldn't even be listening to this podcast, to be honest. Although, I'll take the download. Thank you very much. Um, GitHub is this open source site that is a hosting platform for all kinds of web development applications and projects. And it's used for version control, meaning creating different versions of an app, a new release um, on this repository system called Git. That's not important if you're not into web development or tech, but what is important is that they're used by like almost every company. They are in the technology and development world, a juggernaut. And it's crazy. I, I forgot what the number is, but it was like in the billions, the, the acquisition amount. And first, my first take was the typical first take when a huge company buys something really valuable. And it's kind of like, ah, shit, here we go. Selling out to the man. But after reading an article on TechCrunch about the acquisition, I'm all for it. Um, they aren't going to change much, supposedly. They're not going to rebrand it as part of Microsoft. They're kind of just going to leave things the way they are. At least that's what Microsoft is saying. And presumably, it means if they're going to leave everything the way it is, they're also going to give it more resources and funding and things like that. And I'm sure, you know, Microsoft's going to do some proprietary shit internally for their version control with it, which is fine. But if they can just add new features, more resources to the platform and not mess anything up or make it some Microsoft baloney, I'm totally cool with it. You know, good for them. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how it develops in the future now that it's under the Microsoft banner. But if they're keeping it its own brand and just improving the experience of it, sounds good to me. What's next is the Apple Developer Conference just happened where they talked about iOS 12. I'm an iPhone user, so... This is important to me. I I tend to like the developer conferences a bit more than the regular Apple conferences that are huge events where they talk about the latest iPhone or iPad or whatever. Those have been kind of a letdown, in my opinion, for a while now. But there was some cool stuff that came out of this developers conference. I mean, we use iOS, really. Like, the hardware is cool and everything, but, like, day-to-day, what we get more out of is the software than the hardware, really. Um, and iOS 12 looks it looks promising. I skipped on 11 
I didn't really see the point of downloading 11, but 12 is looking kind of spicy. Um, that new app for measuring shit in AR, the augmented reality app, that looks crazy. Basically, you can use like Pokemon Go type functionality to measure shit. Um, this is, to me, what I've seen, this is the first utility app that uses augmented reality in a way that actually provides real value. Like, I'm not measuring stuff every day, but if I am, I sure as hell don't want to, like, run around the house looking for a tape measurer if I can do it on my phone. So that looked really cool. Siri, I know Apple's dumping a ton of money into Siri to kind of get their VUI up to speed so they can compete with Amazon Alexa and Google Home Assistant and all that. So I, I kind of expected that. That didn't really surprise me too much. But also the upgrades to the Photos feature looks pretty promising, or the Photos application, I should say. That looks pretty promising too. Um, I tend to really suck at finding photos that I'm looking for. I don't know if it's me or if it's the UI or whatever it is, but I tend to struggle with the current Photos app when it comes to finding something. So it seems like they're going to make some cool upgrades. So according to this article to uh, by Bustle, Bustle.com, they're saying... With iOS 11, which already exists, you can organize your pictures with a map and face net recognition, but searching is getting an upgrade, and it basically eliminates a purpose to scroll through thousands of pictures. Users can now search by broad categories and locations. For example, search hiking, and you'll get a horde of pictures you took in the woods. There will also be featured photos to remind you of the good times. That's pretty cool. I guess I missed the boat with 11, and I already would have been able to find my stupid pictures quicker, but I kind of like the idea of downloading 12 and getting it all in one fell swoop. So we'll see what that does. And what else? They are rebranding the iBooks app to just Apple Books, and audiobooks will bookmark your page so you can pick up where you left off. That's kind of cool. I don't really use Apple Books that much. Um, and now third-party navigation apps are coming to CarPlay and iOS 12. I live in New York City, so I don't have a car, but I would imagine if you use CarPlay, that would be a pretty cool improvement. So you can have ways in your dashboard, for example, and not have to do it on your phone. Um, if you have a car that can do that, that's pretty cool. And then there's also this new dashboard interface that's going to give you control of how your screen time is managed, uh, time limits on app usage, um, and then you can see which apps are sending you the most notifications. And I think they're also going to be able to bucket all notifications for one app into one large rolling notification, which is really cool because like, I use Seamless a lot, for example, and I just get notifications constantly. If it was all in one bucket, that would be a lot more uh, clean from an organization standpoint in my phone. So I appreciate that too. So overall, it seems pretty good. I don't know. I'm always a late adopter with software upgrades to my phone though. But this one 
I think I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. There's also a do not disturb app that hides notifications at night in the morning and lets you customize your settings when it comes to do not disturb. So those are the big ones. Um, overall, iOS 12 seems promising. I'm cautiously optimistic, but we'll see where it goes. Apple's fucked up in the past with these updates where I thought, based on the developer conference, it'd be pretty sweet, and it was a letdown. So I got to download it, and we'll go from there. What else? Oh, Kanye West album. Duh. All right. I am a huge Kanye fan. I always have been. And this album, yeah, it, it was good. It was good, but but when I was listening to it, the main thought I had was, okay, Kanye is entering the middle-aged man, I don't give a fuck mode that tends to stunt your creativity a bit. It just doesn't have the thing that other Kanye West albums have. I think he is past prime Kanye West at this point, unfortunately. I think it's good. I honestly think Pitchfork gave a good review, and I think they rated it a 7.1 out of 10, and I would agree. It's it's like it's not a clunker, you know, it's not a it's not a or my favorite term for bad albums, it's not a weed plate that you roll your weed on, but it's not the classics that he's produced in the past. It's not graduation, it's not my twisted fantasy, my dark twisted fantasy, the it is not even 808s and Heartbreaks, which to me, from an album standpoint, just from a musical standpoint, is nowhere near his best album, but from an influence standpoint, is his most influential album by far. It's none of those things. It kind of goes back to his roots a bit, kind of like early Kanye and also my beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy era Kanye and a little bit of Yeezy. But none of the songs are as good as the songs on those albums. The one song that's sticking with me right now is uh, Ghost Town. Ghost Town is vintage Kanye, in my opinion. But what's funny is he's not hes like not even on it that much. It's with Kid Cudi. And uh, the main star of that album, I think it's 070 Shake, is that her name? She's the one that sings at the end. Her voice is insanely good and I looked at some of her other stuff and it's all insanely good that girl is gonna blow up oh I hope it's 070 shake I'm not pronouncing it wrong and she's from North Bergen New Jersey shout out North Bergen New Jersey uh not too far from where I grew up and I worked with a guy when I worked at a nightclub I worked with a dude and his business was at North Bergen so shout out to North Bergen she's gonna be huge but the other songs they're just like good they're good songs but if they were on any other Kanye album they would not be the highlights none of those other songs would really be strengths on another Kanye West album and the cover is just lazy I mean I take it easy 
Kim Kardashian's like, oh my God, Kanye just took a picture and it's this is the album cover. <laughs> He's such a genius. He's such an artist, blah, blah, blah. I don't know, man. It looks like Brendan Schaub talked about this on, on uh, his podcast, if you're into Fighter of the Kid or Below the Belt or anything like that. So I don't want to say the same thing he said, but I kind of agree. It's just like, it looks like a Mac OS X screensaver with some Snapchat hand-drawn writing on it. That's all it looks like. I mean, I hate being bipolar. It's awesome. It's clever. It's like a clever slogan. And there's, you know, the viral Kanye West album cover maker where people are making their own viral album covers. But that's just because it's Kanye and he dropped a new album. No matter what the cover would be, if it's anything like this, there would be something like that, uh, a generator like that. It's just due to the simplicity of it. But I don't know. It's not... It just looks like lazy art to me, to be honest. It's like someone passed their prime, kind of an I don't give a fuck mode. My legacy's intact. I'm doing what I want. And I think his tweets that everyone's getting up in arms about are in line with that mentality. This album is in line with that mentality. But I'm curious to see this new Kid Cudi project that he's doing. Um, Kid See Ghost. Because Kid Cudi's a little younger. I think he's still a little hungrier. So I want to see if maybe he's saving his good shit for that. I thought the beats on Daytona, the Pusha T album that he produced, the beats were a bit stronger, even though even though with that compared to past Pusha T albums or Clips albums, I didn't I didn't I like Daytona. I think it's really good, but it's like one of those good hip hop albums for hip hop fans. And I tend to like Albums that have a little more global appeal or universal appeal with the beats, particularly. Um, like, my favorite Clips album was Hell Hath No Fury, and the beats were just out there. They were like these crazy, out there, futuristic beats that the Neptunes and Pharrell kind of curated. Um, Daytona's good, it's just, but it's just dusty sample, old school kind of beats, um, which work. It's a good album. And I like the beat selection a little bit better than than Yay. Um, I think Yikes actually. Let me let me take a step back. I think Yikes is another good song along with Ghost Town and Yikes would be a decent track on other Kanye West albums. But those to me are the only two real standouts. If you guys disagree, let me know on Instagram or something like that. But to me, man, this to me marks the end of Kanye West in his prime as a musical monster. He's still very good, still super talented, still a good album, it's good music, but it's not that classic status that almost all of his albums to a degree, I mean, some easy, debatable, but, you know, classic Kanye, like Graduation, My Beautiful Dark Twisted uh, Fantasy, even Life of Pablo, you know, very strong album. Yay. It just dropped off a little bit for me. And the album cover dropped off a little bit for me. But I'd like to know your thoughts. You know, I'm open. I got to listen to it again. Maybe I'll change my mind. Maybe I'll realize the genius at some point. Um, and I'm still curious to see what else he got in store for us. But, yeah, I'm going to leave it at that. I'm kind of at that 35, 40-minute marker on this sucker and my girlfriend's coming back from yoga any second now so i think i'm gonna call it
Let me know what you guys think if you like this breakup where there's a main subject and then read and react where I kind of run down current events. I think it works. I kind of like jumping around subjects a little bit. I think I'm going to keep it for now. And also, I apologize for the past two episodes. The intro and outro music does not work at all. That outdated, big, booming horn trap shit. Not the best intro music. Not the best outro music. I switched it up for this episode. I'm going to keep switching it up. I might do like two or three episodes with the same track and switch it. Um, If I like something, I might have it stick even longer than that. But I like it being fluid. I always like making beats in my spare time. And I like trying them out on these episodes. Seeing how it flows, seeing how it fits. And uh, maybe I'll stick with something permanently. But for now, I I like it to be fluid. But... That last beat that I used just did not work for this podcast. It sounded kind of silly. I apologize on that one. Anyway, um, hit me up. I'm on Twitter, NRS underscore show. Instagram, NRS underscore show. I'm on Instagram a lot. Um, I posted some stuff about uh, virtual assistants and smart speakers. Um, some interesting facts about how quickly people are adopting the smart speaker. I think it's because you can get an Echo Dot for 40 bucks. Um, so that shit's crazy. Check it out if you do not follow me on Instagram. And uh, I'm going to try to do another one of these soon. And thank you guys for listening. Also, I'm going to put a post on Instagram soon about if you guys have any suggestions for episodes, any tech culture fashion music topics you want to talk about or want me to talk about i will be happy to hear your feedback and probably execute it so thanks a lot guys i am out hope you guys have an awesome day and until next time take it easy (laughs) 